Well, it's been a great morning here already. Love recognizing our seniors. And then we're gonna end today by uh, baptizing some folks, which is always a beautiful thing. But I'm excited to jump into uh, this message today. I will probably do it a little bit more abbreviated. Don't say amen. Uh, but if you want the longer version, you can go on a YouTube channel or wherever and, and uh, watch a previous service. The great prophet Mike Tyson said, everyone has a plan until you get punched in the mouth. And the reality is a lot of you across this campus this morning feel in life like you got punched in the mouth because you're in a trial. Today we're talking about how do we stay strong when God allows trials to come in our life? I think we all know, generally speaking, that discipline is a vital part of being successful. I mean, if you wanna learn a new language, you gotta be disciplined. You wanna lose weight, you gotta be disciplined. You wanna learn to play an instrument, you have to be disciplined. You wanna learn to paint, you have to be disciplined. There are a lot of young men a week ago who, in the NFL draft, got a reward for years and years of sacrifice and discipline with their time, with their rest, with their body. If you have an injury, you go to physical therapy, you have to discipline yourself to do the exercises to find healing. A lot of our grads, you are experiencing, even at this stage in life, many of you, the rewards of discipline. You have worked hard and you are experiencing some of the benefits of working hard. Now we know that, generally speaking, in life. In fact, we have a cliche for it, and you know it just like I do, no pain, no yeah, see, we know that. Generally speaking, everyone knows that. In Hebrews chapter 12, which is where we're gonna be today, the author to the Hebrews uses a word eight times in verses four through 13. And the word in the Greek is the word uh, paideia. Now, it's not paella, that's a Spanish rice dish, which is wonderful but it's the word paideia, and, and it means discipline, training, instruction. It's used eight different times in this text, and so it's important that we understand what that is. Now, it's one thing when we're talking about experiencing the reward of something that we want, that we have worked for, but what do you do when God chooses or allows trials in your life that you didn't ask for? How do we handle that? That's a word that was given to the original Hebrews. As you know by now, a lot of you have been with us now for months, we've been studying Hebrews. But you know that this is a church that's being persecuted because of their faith in Jesus. Life has gotten really hard, difficult. And they're probably wondering, why is God allowing this to happen? Why would God do this? Why is God not delivering us from whatever that is? And I bet there's people here in this room today that are asking the same thing. You got a diagnosis from a doctor that doesn't make sense to you and you're wondering why. You're in a relationship that is crumbling even though you're pretending like it's not and you're wondering why. You're going through a hard time and you're asking the question, God, why are you allowing this? In fact, you're even tempted to slide in the word, God, why are you causing this in my life? And perhaps that's what they were asking as well when Hebrews was written. 
Here's the big idea I'd love for you to think about today. If we had to summarize what much of this chapter is about, Hebrews 12, it's this simple idea. God challenges us to change us. God challenges us to change us. God's desire is to change us, to transform us into the likeness of his son, Jesus Christ. And God often uses challenges to change us in the people he wants us to be. That was the word to the Hebrews, and that's the word you're gonna hear again and again. And as we now go into God's word, would you please stand? I'd love to read for you Hebrews chapter 12. Verses four through 13. And the argument really begins in verse one, goes through verse 17, but we're gonna go four through 13 today. And this is what he says, verse four. You have not yet resisted to the point of shedding blood in your striving against sin, and you have forgotten the exhortation which is addressed to you as sons. And then here he quotes Proverbs 3. My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor faint when you are punished by him. For whom the Lord loves, he disciplines, and he punishes every son whom he accepts. It is for discipline that you Endure. God deals with you as with sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? But if you are without discipline, of which you have all become partakers, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. Furthermore, we had earthly fathers to discipline us, and we respected them. Shall we not much more be subject to the father of spirits and live? For they disciplined us for a short time, as seemed best to them, but he disciplines us for our good, so that we may share his holiness. For the moment, all discipline seems not to be pleasant, but painful. Yet, to those who have been trained by it, afterward it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness. Therefore, Strengthen the hands that are weak and the knees that are feeble and make straight paths for your feet so that the limb which is impaired may not be dislocated, but rather healed. Let's pray about this. Father, we hear a lot already here about discipline, about hardship, even the word translated as punishment. God, would you help us to see trials in the way that you do? and to see your love and your goodness even in that. We'll pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You guys have a seat. So this is a challenging word. There are lots of verses of Scripture that are there to comfort us. Even in the book of Hebrews, we've had many of the verses that, that give us great comforting promises by the Lord but we wanna have a biblically balanced view of truth. We wanna understand all of what God says. And there are times we need to be comforted, but there are also times we need to be challenged. Sometimes God's word is there to comfort the afflicted, and sometimes God's word is there to afflict the comfortable. I think today is the latter. There is certainly something to be said to comfort you who are in a trial right now. And I think as someone said, we're either coming out of a trial, in a trial, or headed into a trial. That's just life. And there is a word to say God is with you in that, comforting you. And that's even present in this text. But there's also a word to challenge you to see your time of trial 
as something that God is allowing for your good. God challenges us to change us. So in a very simple way, we want to understand the best we can in the time we have, why does God discipline us? Why? What do we learn from this? There's three reasons I want to give you why we need the discipline of God, and then a practical admonition for our church based on this text. Three reasons why God disciplines us. Number one, it's because he loves us. It's because he loves us. Here in verse four, he's been building on this argument from verse three when he talked about considering him who has endured such hostility by sinners. In other words, Christ died because of his obedience to Christ. And maybe even with a bit of sarcasm in verse four, he says to his audience, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding blood and you're striving against sin. In other words, if Jesus Christ in his obedience shed blood, no matter what you're going through, you haven't done that. You're not a martyr for your faith. It's a way of challenging them. Keep looking to Jesus. Look what he went through. Why do you think your life would be easier? And then he challenges them in verse five to say, don't forget what the word of God says. Notice what he says, verse five. And you have forgotten the exhortation which is addressed to you as sons. Now, this is a very important distinction we're gonna come back to, the idea that God is addressing his children. But here he quotes Proverbs chapter three. Now, a lot of y'all love Proverbs three. Verse five and six, some might say this, my life first, trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding and all your ways acknowledge him and he will make your path straight. A lot of us love that verse and it's a wonderful verse, but in the same proverb, if you go down a few verses to 11 and 12, it also says what he quotes here in Hebrews 12, five and six. My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord nor faint when you are punished by him. Let's talk about that. He says there are two improper ways to view the hardships of life, the discipline that God has for us. One is to, what he says, regard it lightly. In other words, you say, God would never do that. that that's not like God. God, God, God that's, there's no way that I could learn from this challenging time. That's, that's what it means to regard it lightly. The other way is what he says, to faint when you are punished by him. That would be to be in such despair in the trials of your life that you forget the greater purpose that God has, that you forget the greater hope that you have in Jesus. And he keeps going, quoting Proverbs 3, verse 12, for whom the Lord, shocking word here, loves, he disciplines. Now, isn't it the opposite of the way we tend to think? We tend to think when we go through hard times, God, I thought you loved me. Why are you allowing this to happen if you loved me? And there are a lot of things we go through in life that are unexplainable, and some of it is certainly the product of a fallen, sinful world. But there are also things that I guess we won't know until heaven that God allows in our life for the sole reason that he loves us. Let me ask you, do you learn more in times of pain or in times of pleasure? God uses discipline to change us because he loves us. I love what Charles Spurgeon said. He said, the Lord gets his best soldiers from the highlands of affliction. Now, it's important to say that 
There's a distinction between God's discipline and his wrath. And we don't have time to go into this at great length, but simply to say, as a believer in Jesus, I am forgiven from our sin because of Jesus dying on the cross for me. I am given eternal life. I'm given the spirit of God. I'm given the assurance that I will one day be with him forever and ever and ever. And that's the hope of the gospel. At the end of our service, we're gonna baptize people who are trusting in Jesus Christ for life now and for life forever. And that's the power of the gospel, which means that I will never Because of what Christ has done for me, I will never fully experience the wrath of God. And that's good news. Unbelievers will experience the full wrath of God. I will not. But though I won't experience his full wrath, even as a believer, I can experience his discipline. You know why? Because he loves me. Someone said, God loves you, or God will accept you as you are, but he loves you too much to leave you there. I love that. Because, hey, look, the ground is level at the foot of the cross. Like, no matter what you've done, no matter what sins you've committed, no matter what mistakes you've made, God says, because of Christ, if you will come to me, repent of your sin, put your faith and trust in me, I will accept you as you are no matter what you've done, but I love you way too much to leave you stuck in a state of immaturity. God disciplines us because he loves us. You know what else God disciplines us? Number two, because we are his children. That seems to be a theme. He's, cap- he's uh, capturing this word, addressing you as sons from Proverbs chapter three. And then in verse seven through really 11, he establishes it. Like he says, verse seven, it's for discipline that you endure. Endure discipline, why? God deals with you as with sons. Now, we could certainly apply that to sons and daughters here. He deals with you as sons for what son is there whom his father does not discipline. Now the operating assumption is that a loving father would appropriately discipline his child so that his child is not stuck in a state of immaturity. No no parent should want their child to be a brat, to be entitled, to be selfish. I was thinking about a good example of this. Remember the movie, uh, Charlie and the Chocolate Factory? Remember Veruca Salt? Nobody wants to be Veruca Salt. Entitled gets everything she wants. Dad puts no boundaries on her life at all. And you know what happens to kids like that? You will turn into a blueberry. Everybody knows that. Actually, that's not true, I know. I've been corrected all morning. It was actually uh, Violet Beauregard. Thank you very much, thank you. But I never let truth get in the way of a great illustration. Anyways, but you get the point. A A loving father appropriately disciplines their child. And then he says in verse Eight, he says, but if you are without discipline, of which we have all become partakers, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. He's saying to the Hebrews, if you weren't experiencing the discipline of God, you know what that would mean? It means that you're not a child of God. And then he makes an argument from the lesser to the greater in verse nine. He says, he says furthermore, we had earthly fathers to discipline us and we respected them Shall we not much more be subject to the Father of spirits and live? I love that contrast. We have fleshly fathers, earthly fathers. And if we respect them, why would we not respect the Father of spirits and find life in him? Now, I know that in a room like this, of this size, there are plenty of you who had less than perfect mothers and fathers who either neglected you or even abused you. 
And many of us view our heavenly father through the lens of our earthly father. And as much as I hate that, let me remind you that our father in heaven is a perfect, good, holy, loving, merciful, gracious, truthful, compassionate God who always does what is right. And because you are his child, he will appropriately discipline you. Now, you might ask, how does he do that? Here's a couple different ways. Three types of discipline I think we see in the scriptures. Like, for instance, one of them is just what I might call formative discipline. And the basic way God does this is through his word. In fact, in ancient Jewish cultures, many of the children were asked to memorize the first five books of the Bible by a very young age. Now, your, your child may not know the first five books of the Bible, but it does speak to the fact that we are to instruct our kids and our grandkids with the word of God. We ourselves are to be living in light of God's word. That's formative discipline. Another kind is preventative discipline. You remember when Paul asked God to take away the thorn in his flesh? And we don't know what it was, but he said, I pleaded with the Lord three times, take this away, please take this away, please take this away. And you know what God told Paul? He said, my grace is sufficient for you. You know why? Because my strength is made perfect in your weakness. You know, sometimes if God actually answered the prayers that we want him to do in our life, it will remove our dependency and it will remove our ability to experience his perfect strength. Sometimes God's discipline is preventative, not giving you what you want, because he knows what that would do to you. And then sometimes God's discipline is simply corrective. David, a great man of God in the Old Testament, made some mistakes. In fact, one of his primary mistakes he made was to have an affair. And God forgave him for that. In fact, that's the beautiful thing about the gospel for us. Even when we sin, I sin, you sin, we can be forgiven by Jesus, amen? I mean, 1 John says that, that if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to not only forgive us for our sins, but to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And that's good news. But just because we are forgiven by sin doesn't mean that we still don't have to face the consequences of our sinful decisions. David had to. He was forgiven for his sin of adultery, but there were consequences that plagued him the rest of his life. And that's part of God's corrective discipline. But God does this in our life for our good because he is our heavenly father. Why does God discipline us? Why does God challenge us? Well, it's because he loves us, because we're his children. And thirdly, it's because there's an eternal payoff. He continues the argument in verse 11, 10 and 11. For they, speaking of earthly fathers, disciplined us for our short time. It seemed best to them. No dad, no mom gets that right all the time. But he disciplines us for our good so that we may, here's the first thing, share his holiness. For the moment, all discipline seems not to be pleasant but painful, and we all say amen, right? Like, by the way, I'm glad that I'm not of my grandparents' generation. I remember when I was at my granddad's house and I got in trouble, he would say, go out in the yard and get a switch. Anybody have a granddad like that? Go get a switch. Right, so he's gonna switch your attitude real quick with that switch. Right. And you would make this massive mistake of going out there and getting like a twig, mm-mm, bad mistake, bad mistake. But they discipline us imperfectly for our good, he says. God disciplines us, even though it seems not to be pleasant but painful, yet to those who have been trained by it, afterward it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness. 
He says there's two goals in here. When we appropriately see hardships through the lens that God wants us to have, what it allows to happen is two things. Number one, we share in his holiness. In other words, we live in light of who he is transforming us to be. And we are given the peaceful fruit of righteousness. That's how we need to see the difficulties in life. The only thing worse than going through pain is having wasted pain. Pain you don't learn from, pain you don't grow from. And look, let's be honest, most of the time we talk about hardships, it's things like medical issues, financial issues, relational issues, and I don't wanna belittle that at all. I mean, the scriptures talk about those things as the sufferings of this present world. But for the Hebrews, we're talking about persecution. He's talking to an audience whose lives are hard because they said yes to Jesus. And I think we need to be reminded at times that that still happens today. In fact, I got a note from some of our sent ones that we sent out of John Safiri, who's serving in a very difficult place for their protection. I'm not gonna give you their names or their location. But listen to the sobering reminder of what believers today still go through. They talk about a girl in their fellowship. They call her Layla, though I have a feeling that's a protected name. So this is what they write. All right, listen to this. They said, the cost is high, but the reward is even higher. He is worthy. Layla came to Christ after being highly devoted and studying Islam. Her own father being in a very high religious position in her community, after many theological discussions, it left her wondering and seeing the love of other believers. And it was ultimately the undeniable joy she saw in her own mother's life after she made Jesus her Lord. Layla knew she couldn't deny who God was any longer and she gave her life to Christ. She hid it from her father, but when the Taliban entered her village, she knew her mother, siblings, and herself would be at risk. So they packed up a few things in three backpacks and began their journey to our country. After they had left without warning, her father found Layla's Bible and a bag of rice in their kitchen and he began calling her, making death threats, telling her that he has sent men after the five of them. They traveled in extremely dangerous situations, many times on foot, and she continues to get phone calls and texts from her father, who is still looking for her to kill her, her mother, and her three young siblings. Because of her faith, she has had to leave her steady job as a pharmacist, becoming physically poor and a refugee. She has lost childhood best friends because they were no longer associated with her in fear of their own lives. And as a young unmarried woman, she has had to take on the role of caring for her family here as her mother is physically handicapped and her brothers are too young. And if that wasn't enough, her own father is looking for her to kill her. Yet, yet, she still has joy and she proclaims that he is worthy. That's what it looks like to embrace the discipline of God. There's an eternal payoff that's beyond this world. So before that day comes, what should we do? I love how he ends it in verse 12 and 13. And here's quoting Isaiah 35, but this is what he says. Therefore, strengthen the hands that are weak and the knees that are feeble and make straight paths for your feet so that the limb which is impaired may not be dislocated, but rather 
be healed. He's switching metaphors now from a runner, which is a metaphor he uses throughout the Bible, throughout this book, to now a boxer. And the idea is that your hands are drooped and your knees are are feeble, like a boxer in the middle of a fight who's getting tired, having a hard time keeping his hands up. He's quoting Isaiah 35, which talks about that in the face of opposition, God will one day get rid of your enemies and God will save his people. And the same is true to the Hebrews, the same is true to us. And like a boxer, we need to keep our hands high and our knees strong and our backs stiff and our paths of our feet straight so that we might be healed and be strengthened. But you know what's amazing about this verse? The verb for strengthen is in the second person plural. You're going, what does that mean? Well, I don't think Paul was from the south of Tarsus, but if I had to translate it for us, Paul is using the word y'all. Y'all. He's saying, y'all, strengthen one another. Y'all, keep each other's hands up. In other words, here's what he's saying to the church. Encourage one another in the Lord. This is not a message where you walk out and you think, okay, how can I on my own get stronger and, and be able to withstand the opposition of the enemy? No, no, this is the text that's saying, as a church, help out one another, strengthen one another, encourage each other in the things of the Lord. Do you know somebody who's doubting right now? In despair, discouraged, distracted, go on and on. This text is asking you to help them keep their eyes on Jesus. College students, those who are heading to college in the fall, one of the most important things that you will need day one on that campus is another believer to help keep your eyes focused on Jesus. Strengthen one another. That's the hope of the gospel. I'll give one final British quote. Again, some British people, maybe it's just the coronation from yesterday or something, but... I love this Winston Churchill quote. He says, if you find yourself going through hell, keep going. That's a good line. If right now you find yourself in a trial, keep going, trusting the Lord. Let's pray about that. Father God, we just thank you for who you are and thank you for the good news of the gospel. Lord, maybe right now there's someone that comes to our mind that we know is struggling. And I pray, Lord, that we would do something this week to be an encouragement to that person. Lord, help us to see discipline, knowing that you challenge us to change us. Lord, I thank you for new life. It's awesome to think about those who are about to be baptized, to proclaim that now they're saying yes to Jesus, and this is not the finish line for them. This is, this is them starting the race, whether young or old. So God, with this testimony of baptism, now be a, a wonderful, symbolic gesture of life change in Jesus. Thank you for this time. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. So baptism doesn't make you a Christian. It's like a wedding ring. If I take it off, I'm still married, but it tells the world that my heart is taken. Baptism doesn't make you a Christian, but it shows the world that you have repented of your sin, put your faith in Jesus. You have died to self, and because of Jesus, you have risen to walk in the newness of life. So we wanna celebrate a few folks that have recently put their faith in Jesus, and we're gonna read a little snapshot of their story, and uh, let's celebrate these who have come to you to proclaim their love for Jesus. Logan, throw it over to you. 
Well, it's a great day when we get to celebrate.